We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Daymore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. We are at the All-Star break. 59 games in the season coming at you Thursday afternoon with Britt Robson of MinPost. I almost just said Britt Robson of The Athletic. Not The Athletic. MinPost. We just... were just talking about uh, a story I wrote for The Athletic that was probably better than the one I wrote today. Yeah. Well, Britt wrote today um, about Jade McDaniels. Um, the, the line, Britt, that, that stood out to me um, was was you said that Jaden McDaniels is becoming a fixture of serious teams, a versatile role player capable of defending a variety of situations. And as we were just kind of talking about before we, we turned the mics on here is I'm kind of starting to view this team through for these last 25 games of the, the year through the lens of you know, are are you gaining progress in the standings? Are, are you are you growing here towards the end of the season? But also specifically through the lens of how have these guys developed or not developed in in ways that is relevant to a playoff series? And I think Jaden's development over the last month or so really has been something that's popped, particularly over these last two games, and is something that you could very much see being valuable in in a playoff series is that at all what kind of inspired this for you or was it just the last couple of games two things inspired it one was that i think he's suddenly become a lot more valuable uh things that were kind of predicted for him as a future upside are being tangible right now which frankly i didn't expect i did not expect him to be a dangerous playmaker off the bounce i you know i i did not see that in his future this year uh, I know they groomed him for it in the summer. I thought he did fine against other summer league competitors. Um, I thought uh, last night against Toronto and against Charlotte, granted, neither one is like a stellar defensive team, but, you know, they're athletic NBA players. And uh, Jaden is learning how to make the hockey assist really well, I think. He's also learning quick decision-making. Um and his handle and his ability to turn the corner, all the things that actually Finch talked about as potential upsides or what he thought Jaden was going to deliver, 
um, even this year, which I was dubious about. I was never really dubious about the, you know, the on-ball defense against wings, smaller wings. But he has, uh, in the last month or so, I would say, maybe the last 15 games, exceeded my expectations on one side of the ball. So that was one thing I wanted to get to. The other thing is um, it's not as often as you think. You would think this would happen a lot. But where a coach just gets behind a player and says, this guy's going to be good. Screw you people if you don't think so. I'm going to the wall with it. He's getting minutes. He's getting this time. All right, I'll have to use him in a different form right now because it's really not working out. But his minutes aren't going to really drop. And you have a guy who's not only comfortable in his own skin, but kind of revels in his own skin. He just loves to be the guy who says something and then make it happen. And he's making Jade McDaniels happen. Uh, and I think that's kind of extraordinary. Yeah. I, so I, something that stood out to me from from Finch after last night, and, and he's done this before when the Wolves have had um, you know poor shooting stretches. There, there's more of that right. at the beginning of the year. He was just like, my, it was a shrug. He was like, we're not going to change the way we play, right? Right, right. And, and I... Much, much to John Krasinski's disgust. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun to watch John, who's like the eminent sensible person, try to get Chris Finch to bring up the idea that Towns should get the ball more and shoot more. He asked like four different questions <laughs> without ever asking him directly that question because he wanted to lead Finch to his own conclusion. Which didn't happen. It's almost well, a reasonable, a reasonable conclusion, I, I would say. I mean, yeah, Cap shoots twenty six shots against Charlotte on Tuesday, and and they win. Yeah, and then dominates, particularly the you know, the second half of that game. Cat's similarly efficient last night, but only gets fourteen shots off. So I don't disagree with Finch in the idea of like we're not going to change the way we play. They have a they have a really good you know shot chart. They're third in the league in three point volume, 29th in mid range volume, ninth in volume at the rim like you can't really pick nits with that but I do think this team again as we look through bigger picture and you look to playoffs and those sort of things I do think there's ways to tweak things offensively without quote-unquote changing the way we play um one uh, is is the John thing that you know you boost the cat volume that's not going to change the way you play more cat threes just Leans into that more, more cat, um, you know, shots at or near the right, basket right, is gonna, right. you know, is gonna lean into that too. So that, you know, that that's one out there that I think is just rather obvious of anyone who watches the wolves. But the other two I'm looking at as tweaks are Malik Beasley shooting less threes, if that's possible, and then also Jade McDaniels shooting less threes and and prioritizing the attack a little bit more, the turning the corner Chris Finch talks about. And right. I think with McDaniels, that can be the tweak. And maybe we're already seeing it happen. The the attacking, the, the, the shooting from two-point range more is a tweak similar to what we saw from Jared Vanderbilt about a month ago, where his offensive usage, where he was positioned, didn't necessarily change much, but it was enough of an angle tweak. It was an, enough of a roll tweak and being a screener more often that made you be like, oh, these Vandal problems are not that prolific offensively. And I also think it was mentioned in the scouting report or in the, the, the game plan, whatever. Uh, in other words, um, 
I think if you make a a team more aware of what you want a player to be featured as that gets featured more within the context of the game. I think the players do pay attention to what is said to them. Um, I think if there's an outlier on that, it's probably Delo, who I think, you know, w- believes he, he can and should run what he wants and is smart enough oftentimes to be right. Also um, arrogant enough to sometimes be wrong. Um, but I do think it's clear to me that Finch does not want what you and John want. And actually, I kind of want it. It's pretty obvious when you have a historic, historically good three-point shooting big um, that on a team that just doesn't have it from distance that night that you let that historically good three-point shooting big have more leeway and encourage that in ways that tweak your system if only for that night. But, you know, the Beasley and McDaniels things make eminent sense to me. McDaniels more than Beasley because, let's face it, Beasley is, you know, like all three-point specialists. He comes and goes. He's Tyler Hero. He's Duncan Robinson. He's, you know, know, Buddy Heald. They have good seasons and bad seasons. And unless you're Joe Harris – and it's not the playoffs, you know, it's, you know, uh, 40% guaranteed is, is, is not easy. So, which is all to say that I agree with you and John about what happened last night. And I think Finch pretty pointedly like Tibbs before him, actually. And unlike Ryan wants his big man to be more of an elbow facilitator than necessarily a top of the key gunner. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of the gunning from cat, um, you can try and influence as a coach and you can say, do it more, but he's kind of just got to do it. Like that's what the Charlotte game was. That's why I loved it. It was just like, it was just a takeover, you know, um, as cat would say, deciding to be aggressive and to be a superstar. Sure. Right. He makes it. Yeah. Which I mean, the other side of the coin there, like Cat, if you're being real, if you if you if one equals superstar, then the other does not. Um, right. It when Cat is not being aggressive, when he is not shooting fifteen to twenty shots in a game, um, he becomes not a superstar and just an elite role player. And I think that's well put uh, because he's not Jokic. Unfortunately, I do think the the specter of Jokic hangs over the over his mind anyway, and and actually, I believe Embiid's too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say that. Uh, you know, I, I really do think that all these big guys have decided that this is the modern game now, and Jokic has just won the last chip, the players' chip, the MVP yeah. chip, um, and it's like, hey, I want one of those. And, and meanwhile, it'll help our team be better because I'll be a more well-rounded player. Well, all fine and good if you have Jokic's court vision. Name me a person in the NBA outside of LeBron who does. Well, also, like, let's let's talk about Jokic's usage is not exclusively or predominantly as a passer. It might be his right. best skill set, but that's the difference of Jokic's the last two years is the volume of offense. I mean... Literally before he was, I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, but before he was the MVP, 
it was less shooting from Jokic and it was the defining characteristic was was the passing. That's ratcheted up with with Joel Embiid. Um, the volume and the usage has gone up and that's become more effective and efficient in since Daryl Morey came, you know, his ability to get to the free throw line. Right. And and with Cat, we're not at that level yet. The efficiency, the the, you know, per possession production is similar. The volume is not. And thus mm-hmm. the impact is not that big. And this isn't I think Cat's been the most consistent Wolves player over the past, this whole last good stretch for this team. It's just without a doubt. We're just talking about, you know, the the next horizon here. And and I think Cat's just trying to figure it out. Uh he, he doesn't I think you're right. He wants to be Jokic-y sometimes. Um, he wants to be Embiid-y sometimes, but really the the player I've seen Cat most emulate over this past month and a half is Giannis. I mean, he is yeah. he is a downhill player more than he is a shooter. That has clearly become Cat's preference is is attacking the basket from the top of the key. Sounds weird to compare those two to each other, but I I think Giannis is a given the way Cat's well, playing. That's been the better comp. When when you tweeted that out, I think I said that was perceptive and accurate because I agree. It was not a, a thought that occurred to me, which is I usually respond to things that you tweet if I read them that educate me. So, uh, and that I thought was very educational. What I would say as a caveat to that is um, emulating Giannis on offense is probably easier than emulating him on defense, which is where his real value lies. In my opinion, you know, Um, I think that Giannis, Giannis off the bounce. I mean, if you were emulating, um, the offense of Embiid, the production of Embiid or Jokic should be one thing. Giannis, if the Bucks are humming, I think Giannis is the second and some nights the third best guy to have for, as your offensive guy. Um, yeah, whereas, which I, I mean, I don't know if in, in effectiveness that's true, but I get what you're saying. We've definitely seen that before where he takes more of a tertiary role. Again, similar to Cat. I, I, you know, how many times right. this season has Cap been second or third on the team in shots in a game. That's the, exactly. That's the, yeah, no, the I, same thing. I, I agree with you with the offensive comp. What I, I, I guess what I would argue is when we say cat is like Giannis cats offense is definitely like Giannis. And that's really all you're saying. Yeah. That it's is just awesome. that the, the reason it seems like a ridiculous comparison is because he's the defensive player of the year, like three of the last four years. Well, I think opinion. the shooting part is ridiculous too, because with Giannis, it's like, it is kind of the same too. It's like, well, Giannis, if you're at the top of the key, you could shoot it. You could shoot it more. And that's right. what I'm saying with Cat too. He's like, he says that he says all the time when you ask about it that they're hugged up on him more. Or Finch will say that too. You know, they're hugged up on Cat more on the perimeter. And and you know that's that, not true. It's it's only true to a degree. Um Cat likes to take advantage of that more often with a blow by than he does with simply firing over them or Obviously, the hill I've been on forever is some sort of combo move that steps back into a three. I would love the move when Cat is hugged up on to be a step back three or a, some sort of sidestep three where he is not exclusively like the drive has been good. I'm not. I'm not saying right, that's right, bad. Right. It's, we're no. just it, these are these are these are tweaks and and if you want to see hugged up on post Cat up back to the basket at the nail. <laughs> Yeah, you'll see some hugging then. You'll see a, a, a collapsing double team because it works. 
Or if Cat gets anywhere near the sideline, you know, he will get trapped. Right. Uh, and it's pretty well known around the league. The straight voltage is a thing, you know. Uh, and so obviously some coaches ignore it, but a lot of them embrace it. And the ones that embrace it do well against Cat. You know, Cat did uh, have a good play on that one. You remember that last night where he got doubled on it was on the hoop where we were by on the opposite side of the floor from us. They brought a double yeah. over and he, he kind of like McDaniels, McDaniels, actually. I saw I that play. In fact, yeah. I cited it. Mm-hmm. He, well, he broke through a double team and uh, fed McDaniels who got the end one because Siakam followed him from behind. The single best cat splitting a double team play. I think of the, of the entire season when, if that's happened a hundred times, you know, 70 of them have gone wrong, you know? And right, so I think, right. I think Cat is growing in that way. The, the doubles have not been as much of a problem. They have gone to him at the nail more. They use him and at the top of the And some of that is not back to the basket. I'm a real uh, critic of Cat catching the ball with his back to the basket anywhere further away than like six feet. Oh, yeah. Whenever, I, whenever I he just, catches at 17, I, I'm just internally or vocally when I'm watching the game saying square, square. You know, it's exactly. just... One, one. But he doesn't. For yeah. some reason, he doesn't want to do that. And I think some of that has to do with the fact he's afraid of getting a turnover. Hmm. Uh, see, and, I think that and, would and, prevent turnovers because now when you're passing, you can see better. But when you spin like that and you don't know if there's an oncoming player coming to strip you of the ball, I think that's he, he feels like it's kind of like the slow driver who goes through an intersection feeling like if they go slow, they won't get hit. Hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's funny that we're picking nits with Cat because, um, I mean, again, Charlotte game, he was terrific. Even last night, you know, super efficient, even if the volume wasn't there. I think it's just when we get these opportunities to see a close game with some real clutch time, which, you know, just by nature doesn't happen all that often. You're constantly reminded of the, I mean, that D'Lo play at the end of regulation in the Charlotte game where that last shot goes to D'Lo and is a, a contested, difficult air ball, you just go. Yeah, we man. never really heard what the call was on that. That looked like a I'm botched sure that wasn't the play. Yeah, no, that was exactly. a, that was a broken play gone. Oh, we're running out of time. But that's and, why and I just it go may give have been him broken on purpose. I mean, when when uh, oh by Delo himself, dude, the dude from Fox Nine who said you know the the thing about you know, that last shot and how it went. And Delo said, "Airball. What are we talking about? What about those fans? Right, I mean, right. it was almost a parody of you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the The bottom line is, when the guy squares up for, I'm I'm kind of disappointed in myself for not asking the question myself. But when a guy squares up for the final shot of the game, potentially, and airballs it, and is heavily contested to the point where they're shooting an Ephus ball, you know, the up toward the rafters." Um, that that that's a bad game-ending play. It is overtime, and you did win in overtime. And actually, he had a pretty decent overtime. Had a poor shooting game the entire time, though. And his his uh, unicorn friend didn't get a chance to be a unicorn on that play. Yeah, I, I think for me in those in those you know ten seconds left sort of situations, um, Finch has proven himself to draw up really good ATOs. We've seen. We've seen those right. D-low slips. Remember, we saw Wancho multiple times, I yep. think. That like, was a legendary one, right? I That's what I'm looking for is like ATO, an immediate action that leads to a wide open layup. And then if not, if that is not what happens and you have to just set at the top, 
right now the status quo on that is get the ball to D'Lo, run a pick and roll with Cat. And, and I'm just not sure that's the best second option. I would rather Cat in that situation just catch the ball square. I, you, they're, they're not going to double him at 20-plus feet away at the top of the key from there. And if he does, then there we go. We got our cut slip anyways. But the action with D'Lo... Um, is just more often than not going to wind up in Delo's hands. And if that game goes sideways in in overtime or if, you know, if that's a playoff game and that's how it ends and you end up losing, this is the conversation. It's why is it not to Cat there? Because Cat can create from there. He he just can, you know, and and it's also he's probably what I don't want to see Cat do when he's in those situations with last second is drive. Because you're going to be less likely to get a foul call in that in that spot, and and he's going to want to sell it, and, and he, when he can't sell exactly. it, he's going to complain, and everybody's going to be running back the other way, and mm -hmm. so that's why I'm just like, boom, inbound square pump, pump get like pump get to a pull up or step back in like step back into a three, like a quick combo move against one defender. I think that's the Wolves' best isolation option by far in a late game situation. I would agree. What I would say inevitably within the next couple of years, Ant is either going to be at the head of this conversation or in the mix of this conversation. And what I'm wondering about as much as I have come to appreciate D'Lo this season and as good as he was in the clutch, through the first two or three months when they had nothing else going in the clutch, it seems sometimes. I really feel like his forte is passing and the kind of passing he likes to do gets very much narrowed in these final, you know, yeah. possession plays. So if you give the ball to Ant when Ant's right, you know, all these caveats have to be said right now until we see him right again. But, um, if you give the ball to Ant, the guy is still, despite a really shitty February, a good three-point shooter and a phenomenal driver uh, with the strength enough to, unlike Cat, if if Ant gets fouled, uh, I think it's more he'll he's more likely to get a late second whistle. I, I agree, but the problem with going to Ant in this situation right now, which I understand that's not what you said, you're talking about down the line, is for that right. to be, for Ant to be the option or even better than the third option in those situations, he needs to become a better mid-range player because that's what you're going to get in 10 seconds left in the game, down by one point. Like, yes, you can get to that step back. Yes, Ant can get to the bucket there, but those in those situations when they're loaded up on you, like a lot of times that last second shot as a two guard is going to be a mid-range pull-up. And that has been an area of Ant's game that has not improved this season. Yeah, and I would argue that I am confident of him taking a three rather than a mid-range. And I think he would have I, I think, I think he, goes he would have room. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I think he would have room, too. I, I, I actually think that – I think he's got some big game juice in him. I think he's got some uh, – For sure. Hero, hero – uh, hero aspects to his focus and so it would be 
I, I think we're going to find out. I think yeah. there's going to be some really big games coming up uh, in the next month of the last month of the season and the first, uh, the play-in game, obviously. I think they'll emerge from the play-in and I think they'll they'll play a, a vastly superior team for at least four games. And it's going to be fun to watch that happen. We will get more uh, of this. This conversation will have more data points, certainly in the final exactly, 23 games exactly. of the year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Brett, let me let me, I, let me mix in a quick okay. break here because okay, uh, sure. I do want to keep talking about Ant and, okay. and Jaden because you talked about them with the timeline. But we'll take a quick break and be back with Brett. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20by20solutions.com. That's T-E-A-M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we are back with Britt Robson of MinPost. Britt, we, I kind of cut you off. We were talking about some of the dynamics as they pertain to Ant. And to kind of extend off of that, you, you talked about in your piece today with, with McDaniels about how he kind of came into this season uh, you know, prior to D'Lo playing a lot better this this year and not really having seen this group together all that much. We talked about the idea of timelines a lot. That's what you mentioned in there. Well, and, and the reason that the context was in the, in the course of the piece was when Finch was really exalting uh, Jaden as a playmaker in summer league, I think it was a second timeline backstop. I sure. think it was, you know, if we got to have, if we're going to ride with Ant and McDaniels, and whatever we get in the bounty of Cat and D'Lo, um, we want to make this guy more of a creator. Um, and I think that people forget that that was, you know, that that's so much in the past, at least at the moment. You know, we'll see how the rest of the season works out. But I do think that both Cat and D'Lo have restored some of their tarnished credibility sure. in, in terms of leading a team and in terms of, uh, executing the kind of defense and being the kind of team leaders that uh, you you want to have on your team. Um, but I do think that McDaniels and Ant are their ability to get their own shot, in particular uh, Ant's ability to be, as you talk about, uh, more multifaceted with it, and McDaniels' ability to do it so he's not ignored. Um, are really important things for the future as as this team moves forward. Yeah, the the timeline thing um, is interesting because, like we said, we got sixty games of more data since we first thought about that entering the season. Uh, right, just just on the players. But 
another thing that I think is really this week has has kind of chiseled into stone what the timelines of this team are is the Patrick Beverly extension and the timeline of that. It it has made it so we, we talked about before the season that the, the timelines were the cat and D'Lo window and then the Ant and Jaden window. What I think right. it is now is the current window, which obviously includes all five pieces, but the current window is the Pat Bev and D'Lo window. They now both have their contracts expiring after next season. And then it's and then it kind of becomes decision time on you know, the, the year after that will be Cat's final year. And you'll have $50 million in cap space going into that summer once Delo's off the books and once Beverly's off the books. Now, granted, you can bring them back, but whatever it is, now we're in timeline two. Right. And the only characters in that, because Malik Beasley's contract will also be off the books if they turned on the team option. The second timeline is now Cat, Ant, and Jade. So that that is a that is a shift when one, most importantly, you've put the best player into both of them. And and two, Pat Bev has kind of asserted himself into this more immediate window of some version of this team as it is, you know, currently constructed with the second window, at least hinting at the idea of change and some upside driven by youth. Yes, I would agree with all of that. Uh, I think it was actually really well said uh, it educated me as well as listeners, I'm sure, to think about two years down the line what we're staring at. One of the things I think I want to throw into the mix here is I think there's a distinct possibility that while it may not get to Udonis Haslam level, I do think that Pat Bev may be here for a while. Sure. I think that the, the love affair between him and Finch is genuine. I think they would both flex beyond their comfort zone to accommodate it. Um, and it may well be worth it. Uh, just given, you know, I've, I've learned to have a lot of trust in what Finch does and says, and it is very clear to me that he regards Pat Bev, not in terms of talent, but in terms of influence, the way Flip used to regard KG, mm. uh, you know, Flip used to say KG, you know, what what Flip used to say is a lot of chemistry beyond pecking order is how your best player sets an example in the locker room. Now, Pet Bab obviously isn't the best player, but he's clearly the alpha in the locker room. And I think that that's something that this team is at least obviously a year away from. That's why they made the extension, but maybe two or three years away from. And it may be that Pat Bev is getting 12 minutes a game, but still getting nine or 10 million a, a year because of what he delivers, you know, to this team besides, you know, his play on the court, which remains, by the way, very good. Yeah, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I think what we've learned, though, is more often than not the – Haslam and and even anybody being of that caliber of player, you know, not a top four or five player on the team. It, they, right. it just tends to be fleeting. Um, not that what you're saying isn't justified there. I would just guess that more likely than not come that 2023-24 season that Pat Bev is not on the team. Perhaps he's even traded before this extension expires. I mean, that that's one thing to for sure note on on him signing this extension, like it, 
Right. It signals a commitment for next year, but it also makes him eligible to be traded on draft night. That wasn't the case before. Ah, good point. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I, I don't. That would I don't be know. a shock, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be, but it's like if you are never somebody, say never, right? If you are somebody who thinks that this team um, does need to make some pretty significant upgrades to really become, you know, you want to talk about being a top five team in the league, right? You're going to have to disrupt some of this, and there's going to be some you know, painful pinching that goes on. And and again, I think that's why I put D'Lo and Pat Bev in timeline number one is because I think they're the two most likely to get pinched. And it's just the way their contracts are set up, expiring the soonest. Right. So right. I I don't know what's what's going to happen. And quite frankly, it'll be determined by what happens the rest of this season and what happens next year, whether or not they decide to quote unquote upgrade off of Pat Bev or they try to go with a different type of point guard in, in place of D'Lo in the future. But right now, that like, I don't think they're there yet at all. They're still gathering information on this team and right, right. how valuable a player like D'Angelo Russell is, which he's certainly signaled he's far more valuable than we anticipated. And then, and same with Pat Bev. Like, they've both substantially exceeded expectations this sort of year. So they fall in timeline number one by default of their contracts not by the merit of their play or value to the to the culture of the team. It's just, I mean, I don't know. I think this team's playing pretty well right now, and they are, they're still, in my eyes, a mile away from the Phoenix Suns and Golden State Warriors oh, yeah. of, the, right. of the Western Conference. I do think that another revealing aspect, which you kind of alluded to but didn't state explicitly, is the length of the contract is a compromise. Mm -hmm. The length of the contract is saying we want Pat Bev, we admire him, we want him here. It's a it's a compromise both ways, Britt. Yeah. I mean no, he I know. he he you know it's just which is a, a signal of a healthy relationship, I think. Like right, he said right. he wanted a multi-year deal. That was the goal. Yeah. Multi-year deal over the mid-level exception because the the thought was on the market he can sign with some contender, everyone's going to have the mid-level. He can sign a two, maybe two plus one, you know, extension. He took this one because it's four more annually than what that mid-level is. But that's, a, you know, that that's actually a sign that the Wolves are kind of on the come up. Because and a lot of guys wouldn't take that. he gets to be the talk that. of the walk on this team. He gets to be the guy yeah. that continues to literally talk to Finch and then tell assistant coaches what's going to happen. I mean, you know, how often is that going to happen? Uh, you know, on another team, you know, when is he going to, uh, you know, push LeBron around and, but for that matter, I mean, obviously one of the reasons that the Clippers decided to part with him and keep their younger core was because they have guys like, like uh, Kawhi and Paul George and whoever that are, Guys that mm -hmm. kind of have that mantle. The, who is the second best leader on the Timberwolves roster, I think, is a fascinating question. Um, because everybody, not everybody, but a handful of guys have like partial things that are starred on their resume. But no one has the, uh, you know, the sweep of, of what Pat Bev has in terms of credentials. So. I don't know who is the second best leader on the team. Ant. 
don't know. See, that's a pretty, you know, I mean, again, Ant's in the mix. No doubt about it. Just because he's so And Delo is, and Cat is. They all are. Exactly. And Torian Prince, in, mm-hmm. you know, on the rail, you know, probably not uh, somebody who's going to be right. the first three you think of. But I do think that people really do respect him. And, and the way he's comported himself has been, um, has added to that. Finch obviously respects him. Um, but again, it's which is all to say that it's a steep drop after Pat Bev. And so that money is critical well to have him. Yeah. Yeah. For that reason, because he's clearly the, the number one. I, I've heard that um, to the, the whole telling people what to do thing this year in practices, Pat Bev has like multiple times blown up on the assistant coaches in the scout team for not executing the like the scout team's offense or defense effectively. I mean, he does. He has the clout and cachet of an assistant coach right. on the floor. That's that's just he's KG without the superstar talent, mm-hmm. which is it's dicey. It's, it's dicey. Like, yeah, because I think about Rubio, man, and I remember saying the same thing last year. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, Rubio leadership obviously impact on Ant, but I've always wondered. Like, how impactful of a leader can you be when you're clearly not the best player or not even one of the best players? How much, and how hollow is it? When, and also when you are a somewhat rational human being. <laughs> I mean, the, the, don't get it twisted, man. I mean, part of KG and Pat Bev's allure was that they were a little bit crazy. And, you know, if you mess with them too much, you know, you may get the horns. I mean, we're seeing a lot of horns from Pat Bev recently on the floor in the <laughs> media Trent. sessions. I mean, hey, it... we ought to talk about what Mike Greenberg uh, told us. Oh yeah, yeah, you tell the story. Tell it. Yeah, uh, uh, I, 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 I regard him. I mean, I never see him outside the context of Wolves games, but I regard Mike Greenberg as like a, a friend, uh, a dear friend, and uh, because I've been talking to him at these games at the meal time when we weren't all wearing masks and at the, you know, at halftime and before and after games right around there, he supplies the stats to Jim Peterson and Dave Benz. He's really good at it. He's a mild mannered guy. He's really smart. And he is in a position to see and know things. And every now and then he'll drop some wisdom on us at halftime. And what he said about that whole kerfuffle between, uh, Pat Bev and uh, Gary Trent Jr. was it had started way before this opening tip because Gary Trent began to like use the wolves rosin and just the sticky monkey, thing on the floor monkey the with all yeah monkey with all the things that uh, are go into an incredibly it's in a superstitious league and players really do believe in patterns. Well, isn't this so KG? Like this is this is everywhere you could. Be, Everyone has that in their mind's eye of cat with the rosin bag and the sticky right. thing and the yeah right. And then meanwhile, you know, speaking of which, Gary Trent Jr.'s father, Gary Trent Sr., was like Cat's right hand Bobo, the guy mm-hmm. who just anything that Cat wanted, you know, he was like the enforcer guy, you know. And so, and he shows up in like a, a spectacular fur coat, Last you know, night, like yeah. somebody who's yeah, he's like he's on the runway. And uh, meanwhile, Gary Trent Jr. is messing with the team and was it D'Lo? Did no, Mike Torian say it was Prince. D'Lo? It was Torian oh, Prince. Oh, Torian Prince. Yeah, Torian Prince came over and gave him shit for it 
and they began to get a little jarring. And of course, Pat Bev notices this and joins the fray. And then <laughs> a situation where he's demanding that uh, Gary Trent not stand in the don't circle. Use our the <laughs> <laughs> and they both wind up getting pregame texts. This oh, is like so probably 10, 10 minutes after that happened. Uh. Um, and Pat Bev wasn't going to let it go. It's just, you know, it's... Uh, it's Every a, now it's and close, then, it's a close tie. But of going to a game and watching the Timberwolves. If you haven't been to a Wolves game this year, <laughs> I'm not sure what. The, and if you got if you got good seats, and you're down there. You can really hear and see this Pat Bev neurosis. It's like <laughs> it's equally as joyful and exciting as you know than a dominant ant third quarter or or something. I mean, it's at the same time it's fraught. I mean, if he's not on your team, you think, what a douchebag. Oh, you know, I mean, totally. I can't believe this guy. And he, he's gotten in this habit of like, he slaps people on the ass or pats them on the back or all this stuff where like he's, he's so conferring, he's, a, he's conferring either approval or um, disdain for whatever result has happened and or wants to take credit for committing the foul and that that was a good call almost before the ref has even whistled it, if he does believe he's committed the foul. And I know in his mind he's thinking, if I go out of my way to agree with this one, I'll have more credibility when I just go at him on the next one. Um, and to his credit, Pat Bev has managed to work the refs to the point where I believe he gets away with more than just about anybody in the NBA. It starts before the game. It starts before the game when he goes and talks to him. I saw him. Who was the crew chief last time? I'm blanking on his name. The Capers, I think. Yeah. Jim Capers, was it? Oh, no, yeah. no, no. It wasn't Jim Capers. It was. Was uh, that the night before? Yeah, it was. Oh, who's the main guy? Whatever. It's, he's been around forever. Um, but Pat Bev just hucks a ball at him before the game. <laughs> Just throws it at him, and and he just and he just shakes his he just shakes his head at him, and Pat, Pat you know, he's just he knows it's part of his game. Like his game doesn't work if he has not effectively worked the refs or been able to convince him he can and do what totally he can do. in his own head too. I mean, to the point where uh, the problem where Pat Bev is dangerous to himself, his team, and others is when he's run out of options to influence the game in a positive way. That's why he pushed Chris Paul in the back. I mean, that was like, I'm out of I'm out of mechanisms, so I might as well just blow it up right here, you know? Right. It's uh, Once he hits the wall, the gasket bursts, and there's no, there's once, no bringing once it back. It, once uh, stratagems are moot, yeah. then it's time to bring out the, you know, like the, the nuclear weapon, you know? I mean, it's... <laughs> It's 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 time to just end everything. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's take one more break here, and we'll uh, we'll come back for a final segment with Britt. Today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your front doorstep. You get to skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh is seventy-two percent cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality according to Zagat's Dining Survey, and you can save on average over $65 per month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need to easily customize your order online or in the app. You can easily change your delivery day, food preferences, and plan size, or skip a week whenever you need to. I started using HelloFresh during 2020 when we were in lockdown and cooking every meal at home. And using HelloFresh cut out the grocery store step for me, 
and made it so my whole cooking process became just way more efficient. Every ingredient down to a little packet of salt was included, so I never ran into the issue of cooking a meal at home but not having everything I needed in the house. It helped me make cooking for myself a pattern and not just something that was occasional. I also felt better about what I was eating every day. If you'd like to try HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash more16 and use the code more16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash more16, my last name, all lowercase, and the number 16, and use the code more16 to start using HelloFresh with 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back with Britt Robson of Mim Post, final segment of the pod here, final segment as we before the All-Star game. Uh, Britt, you know, 31 and 28 uh, at the at the All-Star break. I, I think I did the math yesterday. If they would have been on their 34 and a half win Vegas pace, um, they'd only be at 25 wins. So I guess in a way you can say they've exceeded um, expectations by six games thus far. Uh, it's been a weird winding road. They're now 10th in offensive rating on the season, 13th in defensive rating, which is kind of similar to what we might have predicted, but like the weirdest path to get there. It's just been a bizarre sort of season of trends. And I'm, I don't know what this last quarter of the season is going to be. These, these final 23 games in I think I have a pretty good idea. Fire away, because I'm 
I'm lost. I think that they will continue to be lost on defense on a not consistent but frequent basis. Yeah. I think that um I think some of that has to do with the fact that they now know that the offensive firepower is legit. I mean, it's been, what, five weeks, and they have the number yeah. one offense yeah, in the NBA? Num- number two since January 3rd. I mean, that's a really yeah. long – since they got everybody back from COVID. So uh, – and 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 you could dice up that time period where they're number one for, for sure. a stretch, yeah. obviously, because it's number two overall. But – the point being is that they are a reliable offensive juggernaut right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I also think that the defense that was being played at the beginning of the year is hard. It is grueling. Um, it's been scouted. It's been scouted. Exactly. Very good point. And it is. Uh, not necessarily as gratifying as when it happened. You know, the the new car smell of the new defense is off now, and now all you get is production, but you don't get that glee that you had when you were just ambushing everybody and all of a sudden things were happening. I mean, even Vando ran out of juice for a while which I never thought would happen. Well, you kind of called uh, it last week. I was kind of pushing back on you, but I mean, that was well, I mean, low part of power it is he, last he, night. Well, yeah, he's just, he gets double teamed and, and he's also got beat up quite a bit. The, the league, as you say, scouted. They do know that as, as athletic and as wiry as the Wolves are, they're not brawny. And so Braun will deter them. Braun will hurt them more than a team like them cannot foil their defense as much as a a team that could just slug them, especially on the boards. So I just think... think, Do you think that Finch is going to change anything up? Like in terms of starting lineup? Oh, um... I know that sounds faux pas I, I, because no, I think that I think that both Vando and Pat Bev are susceptible to a McDaniel's invasion. He loves Jade McDaniel's. Uh, I'm starting to think and, about McDaniel's over Vando. As I'm, I mean, last night in the first half, it was no foul. It trouble. was obvious they needed him. It and, was obvious that they needed Jaden's uh, flexibility on the court. The thing about Vando is, mm-hmm. um, it's almost like. Um, a car that goes really fast but doesn't have a lot of maneuverability versus a car that could go pretty fast but also corners really well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that and, – and it depends on what course the offense is making you run to play defense. Um, and so I do think that a team that is is able to – use ISOs more and able to go at people. Well, and actually yeah. they went zone zone last night, which uh, I don't think helps Vando. I think does help somebody like McDaniels more than Vando. Cause well, it helps the Vando, rebounding zone helps rebounding, but it's hard to be chaotic when you're running a zone. hundred percent. And so Vando thrives on chaos. McDaniels thrives on minor 
you know, almost like small C chaos. Mm-hmm. Vandal thrives on capital C chaos, where the entire half court is chaotic. Uh, where I see uh, McDaniel's thriving is in those little scrums where there's kind of a loose ball among three people. He's he's the kind of guy that gets those balls, whereas Vando's the kind of guy that thrives when nobody sees him coming from the baseline, and he doesn't maybe even get the rebound. He just flattens another guy and gives it to somebody else on the rebound. Yeah. So I, I, I'm kind of if you remember last. So Finch took over five games before the All Star break last season. Yeah. Wolves lose all five all. of those. Yeah. So context is waxed. definitely different. Yeah. Eighteen point average margin. Um. What happened after the All-Star break, and Finch is here for this, is he did move away from Jake Lehman and Josh Okogie, who had been in the starting lineup, and he did start leading into Jaden McDaniels a little bit more. Um, You know, very different seasons, but Finch does have an aptitude to make change when when you start running up against a wall. And he's been pretty static with not only the starting five, but the rotations. I mean, I, I track them every game and I don't even really need to anymore because it's the, you know, it's the same thing. I could, right. I could tell you what it is. Beasley for D'Lo. Next one is McDaniels right. for Vando. Next one is whoever, or McLaughlin for PB, you know, and, and right. you just right. kind of, you just kind of go down the line. And I, I think in a lot of ways, switching to the starting lineup and the rotation has been or was brilliant. The starting lineup was was awesome. Um, the subbing D'Lo out thing was really working. It, it felt good for bench guys and D'Lo in the second unit. But for the past like month or so, I've been starting to wonder. Like, I've been starting to wonder about both of them. Where maybe another tweak is necessary. Um, it, it's it's hard to argue with the lineup data of the starting lineup. Maybe that one's less, but. I don't think the D'Lo and the second unit thing is as, I don't know, as shiny as it as it was before. So I am kind of anticipating some rotation type of tweaks for this team that do kind of change the identity a little bit or tweak the identity. You know what might work? And I, I have seen Finch mess with this, not in the first round of rotations necessarily, but having Ant out there. Yeah. With the be- with the bench, um, it's the best. It's the best uh, numbers, net rating wise, of Ant, no Cat, and D'Lo is better than D'Lo, no Cat, and Ant, or Cat and no D'Lo and Ant. Whatever you get, what I'm saying. Right, and I know that Pat Bev and D'Lo is a really, really good number. Uh, it's one of the best two man numbers on the team, um, and it's because they do fit each other really, really well. But I also think if you're going to play J Mac. And I think he's earned at least uh, one stint, one eight-minute stint, and then maybe see, you know, as we get into, you know, right. crunch time. But that would be a way to get, keep D'Lo and Pat Bev together a little bit more, not totally, you know, not, but extend their time together a little bit more, put J-Mac out there with Ant and have, you know, McDaniels, Nas, and Beasley. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think that's an interesting that's an interesting second unit and then have Prince go in for maybe Ant or, you know, maybe somebody else. It's just it's I mean, this stuff just requires consistent adjustment. And I think particularly given the 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 structure of the roster, 
it, it's I don't know. This is why this has been a it's something on my mind constantly. Is I I really think as much as any team in the league, how you rotate this group out and back in um, is just impactful. It, it feels that way to me. And now I'm granted I'm not tracking it the same way when I'm just watching a normal other team's game. But to me, watching this team, feeling this team out, um, those lineup combinations I think really prove to be meaningful and and can be a swing and that's mike anori's thing i mean that's his whole deal yeah and so one of the things that i've noticed the thing i probably pay attention to most although i don't chart it at all is defensive identity and that second unit you just wouldn't expect it to be as good on defense as it has been the last month or so you're really Uh, you're really on that one i mean i just how in the i the eye test to me says nas reed and Malik Beasley suck on defense. I mean, when I watch them, I don't think they either one. I think they both get abused a lot. And so when I ask Finch about it, he's usually like a font of wisdom, things I hadn't thought of. And he gives me, well, now he's a good rim protector. And Beasley's been active or, you know, he gives me, he gives me an answer that makes me think it's kind of a fluke <laughs> because he hasn't been able to come up with a really good answer himself. Well, I think it probably so is partially think, a fluke. I think it's two I know, things. So I think it's partially a fluke, but I also think there's this residual baggage that Nas Reed and Malik Beasley carry as being bad defenders. And they are below average defenders. Right. But, but I think sometimes, I, I think both of them have performed decent on defense for for stretches of this season and i don't think we give that much credit so when there is success we're looking for reasons for why it's not successful more than acknowledging like oh this is just a a good blip of of defense from them because i do think they both i do think they both understand the concept even if they aren't quote-unquote high iq defenders um I mean, Nas has talked about since he said before the beginning of the year, he's like, I like drop best. He said that, but I'm going to have to play this and I'm going to learn it. And I I think you've seen him be able to to learn it a little bit. Is it, is it great? No, I'm not like, this isn't right, but it's fine. And Beasley understands the concept, particularly the, the old concept they're run used to be running a lot more because it was the same thing as Denver. So the bad individual defenders, I don't think they're, it's not that crazy to me that their defensive ratings have been better for, for this. Right. But I mean, like, I think they've slipped recently, but for a while there, like it was a 10 game sample and then it became a 12 game sample. Well, the bench was awesome for like like two weeks. They were like the two, yeah, I know. And and McLaughlin too. I mean, but anyway, back to my original point, which is that I think some of it is that when you have Ant out there uh, as the second unit guy, uh, you can still have uh, their defensive identity, not the starters' defensive identity. Pat Bev and Bando make the starters' defensive identity what it is, which is real scrap. Yeah, and and so what what you have more with the second unit. Some of it, granted, is that they're going against inferior offensive teams in the second unit, but you have their own identity of how they do things, and and Nas is a, you know, oftentimes a boomer bust defensive guy. And so he gets exposed, but he gets, he block, he leads the team in block shots by quite a margin in terms of per 36. And so I do think they'll, it's not totally fair to say 
everything the second unit has done is against other teams' second units. The way the Wolves I, wrote, I agree. The I agree. Other teams have multiple starters in to start the second quarter, and the Wolves, right. at most, have D'Lo. One. At, well, sometimes they have two. To start the, sometimes, sometimes Cat. No, no, no. Not to start the second quarter. Cats. Okay, all right. Yeah, cats you're right. Out. Cat there's all 12. Right, right. right. There, that comes back. Right. There's always a stretch there where it is a heavy bench-laden group. And, and you know, and sometimes that's caught, you know, against the Bulls. Now you got now you got Nas out there for two, six, seven-minute stretches where he's playing against DeMar DeRozan. Like, you know, that's that's not going to go well against that, that high caliber. But I just overall remain pretty impressed by the second unit having an identity. Now, I know it hasn't been as good right. these past no, few agree. games, but it, yes, like everything we've talked about, a few tweaks away from being like their best self. But, um, but that was a glaring issue the first half of the season. was, was the And I think it, some of it is carrot or the stick, too. I don't think D'Lo or Ant, or the cat for that matter, really seriously think that their minutes will be messed with if they have a couple of games off on defense. I think Beasley and Nas know if they don't play defense, yeah. hey, we might as well bring in Jalen Noel. If not, if Beasley, I mean, it was comical last night to have John tweet out, uh, maybe it was Beasley's defense that kept them on the floor last night, according to a question from me. And it's not as ridiculous as it sounds. I understand why the fan base went nuts because Beasley's reputation as a defender and I've certainly contributed to it, is lousy, his, his reputation. Um, but Jalen Noel is what you're talking about. Jalen Noel came in in the fourth quarter for Beasley. Yeah, but when I met Beasley, when we, we were talking about, uh, mm -hmm. I asked a question about Beasley, and, and John was saying maybe Beasley's defense is what's kept them on yeah. the floor because – you know, and I don't know if that's totally accurate. Because, well, Jalen Noel is not a better defender than Beasley. No, but if Beasley isn't defending, yeah, then yes, Jalen yes. Noel may be a better option. Agree with that. Agree with that. I think, and and I think that's what a lot of people are on with Jalen Noel having fallen out of the rotation, you know, pretty consistently right. for the past few weeks. It's like, what the hell? You know, you see Malik was over five from three in Charlotte and two for 10 from three. And Does, you go. Yeah. And, and, I and wish it could be Jalen Noel, man. I wish it could be. But I've said this a million times this year, and look at how the coach handles it. Like, he doesn't play Jalen Noel in Malik Beasley's role. He plays Jalen Noel in Ant's role. In the point guard role. Or right? in D'Lo's well, role. role too. One right, of those right. two. It's it's right. He views like on Finch's little whiteboard in his room. It's not like Jalen Noel's name is not behind Malik Beasley. I mean, maybe right. you can make that argument, and maybe you believe that Jalen could be more of a spot up guy and could do more than Malik Beasley things. But let's be real. Like, we haven't seen that. Jalen Noel is a creator. He is a two-point two shot shooter, not a, in a lot of ways, the antithesis of Malik Beasley and his style offensively. I would agree with all of that. And I also get frustrated myself when they brought in Noel for that six-minute stint trying to get something started. I guess it was against Charlotte. It might have been the game before that. Well, I think he got and little he, stints, both of them, right? He got yeah, but whatever night. it was, yeah. he he didn't. I wanted him to go off. I wanted him to, you know, be a flamethrower. And he only goes off was, if he's not surrounded by other top personnel, though. That's the thing. He he defers with that. I know. I know. He's tricky. And, he's tricky. I I, I really like Jalen, but it's uh, 
it's very much in the, I don't know, the sense of a microwave scorer sort of guy when he's, I don't know, it just doesn't fit as well if Cat, if two of Cat, Ant, and Dilo are out there. Well, and some of it is, um, it's like you have an unreliable appliance. And the appliance, let's say it's a toaster, makes great toast. You're not going to do Often. another car analogy? <laughs> when did I do a car analogy? You did multiple oh, you car the one about <laughs> And the one going across the street slow that gets hit. But go on with, oh, the, yeah, go on with your one. toast. <laughs> um, oh, you, I lo you lost it. No, 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 no. I got it. I'm hanging on. Uh, if the guy, if Jalen Noel's the guy who makes you a really good piece of toast quite a bit of time, but it takes a really long time to have it happen. And sometimes you're in a hurry and you just need the piece of toast. Malik Beasley is the kind of guy that will get your toast done, but occasionally it's burned. Okay. In other words, it's hit or miss, but it's there, you know? And so if you're going to substitute Jalen Noel, you're not looking for instant results unless, as you say, you put him in a situation where it's time for him to roam free. Now, when he had it going, when the bench was dominant, and then he began to feel the mojo, he was turning down starters beside him to get his own shot for a couple of games. Right. And it was glorious. And, and that's kind of the reason why I wish it would happen more often. You know, have the slow toast guy make a nice, fast piece of toast with the same <laughs> crispiness. You know? It. It's interesting with Malik Beasley, like, I get why they didn't trade him at the deadline. Um, that money's worse than people think it is. Um, and and this team just lacks volume three-point shooters, particularly off the – just they don't have anybody else of that. If Malik Beasley was hot last night, hmm. the odds of winning that game rise exponentially. And that's why they kept him. That's why they kept him. Exactly after the right. Because – there are games he will win for you for that reason. The thing is, though, we're at the point where this offseason, where you can make more substantial changes to the roster, which is at the point where Malik Beasley at $16 million in a variable role with variable shooting just doesn't make much sense on this team anymore. It's, I, if, in, in the offseason, you, you can replace his shooting. You can replace some of that. A huge factor for that, I think, is how reliable is Ant? Is this three-point stuff going to sustain to the level where you not only get Beasley spot-up capabilities when he comes down the floor and just nails things and gets, you know, obviously they're not the same player. It's not always a catch-and-shoot situation. But I think having a guy who gives you nine threes a game and can hit 38% of them is something that most really good teams have. Mm -hmm. um, and it, if it's worth 16 million, if you mm -hmm. don't have one, right. Which is why, you know, on, on the flip side, there's hope for a decent trade there if they want it. Also, I am of the belief that there are guys coming out of college who are three-point specialists that, you know, obviously your guy Naismith is the exception to the rule. I mean, everybody could see that Bain was going to be the goods 
you know, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. Uh, there are guys. Miami like has like usually five of them just like Struce stocked now like too, yeah. you know exactly Struce and and there's you know and even Gabe Vincent I mean they've got like five guys who they could just take off the shelf and throw in there for those threes and they put uh, Duncan Robinson on the shelf sometimes I mean he exactly. was out of the rotation completely for a while he's making the same money as Beasley is yeah I think that's the path right is like and and the options at this deadline for trading Malik Beasley, we're breaking him down. It was the Josh Richardson, Aaron Neesmith type package back from him. And again, I get why that didn't make sense in this team. Trading one out, one rotation player out for two rotation players when you already have too fat of a rotation, like that, you know, that, that makes sense to me. I'm just saying we've seen enough of this to know that Malik Beasley is not a long-term piece that makes as much sense here as some other pieces on this team makes sense. I would agree with that. In fact, we, we, when we talked about roster monkeying, I did say, I thought that losing Beasley was the least disruptive. Mm -hmm. And I still think that what I want to ask you is how much credibility do you, how much belief do you have in our depth in, in the wolves depth? I mean, are we really looking at like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven being guys that are, if not irreplaceable, guys you really would hate to see go? No, because I don't think they're all consistent, right? You have you can go down to eleven, but on a night you're gonna get seven or eight of them. You know, if like Torian Prince is not there or Beasley's clanking, mm -hmm. or if Noel is a slow toaster, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, then yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, uh but again, isn't that the nature of just about everything? And, and that's when that's when the exaltation of your stars, you know, that's when LeBron has to go win the game or KD has to go win the game or whatever. Right. It's nice when the bench comes in and gives you a, you know, a spark and maybe even wins the game for you. It's happened with the Wolves three or four in a row. Well, Brett, I just feel like it's it's really important. Like the bench feels really important right now, given the stage that the Wolves are in, because they are not in a stage where they're competing for a title or competing to go to the even Western Conference. I agree. So the yeah, bench, we don't have that. Right. The bench feels more important because it's not a it's not a top heavy roster. It it's important because you're trying to win games for playoff seating, and that's right. where your bench in the regular season can make the difference. I mean. If they make the playoffs, like they're probably going to run eight guys. Like yeah. that's just how it's going to go. I think it'll be a different eight. Yeah, I don't actually. Let's do that. Let's let's do I that. I think I can see J Mac playing some and sitting some. For example, McLaughlin. Yeah, I think what probably happens is he's out altogether. I doubt it. I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to get cut bodies out of the rotation and I think a place to do that would be when you have D'Lo and Pat Bev who are both point guards already in the rotation for sure and Ant who can play a little bit of that um, even if he says he doesn't like it to me McLaughlin feels like a place to pinch there if you have to choose someone to go um, I think you would say Nas Reed is another one too but you have that now you have no backup big so I feel like he almost has to be in the rotation for the playoffs so mine would be Reed, McDaniels, and Beasley. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, I what I'm saying is I'm not sure that McLaughlin 
plays every game, but I do think there are times when uh, ball handling and lack of turnovers is extremely important. Yeah, especially in the playoffs. Who, who are you really, pinching then? Who are you? Who are you going to cut out of the playoff rotation? That's a good question. You have um, to choose. I mean, you they'll have oh to Oh, yeah, choose. no, I get it. I get it. I would say um, it won't be McDaniels. Yeah, I, sometimes obvious. it might be Beasley, as happened, you know, last night or a couple nights ago where you get like, a, you know, 14 minutes or something. Right. Um, I, I think that Nas, I think there are definitely going to be times where um, you'll see small ball in the playoffs. I think Phoenix especially is a team that will, you know, and you could even, for that matter, Golden State uh, runs some of that. But can you when, go small at the five? Can you go? I, I've just been surprised we haven't seen more Vando at the five. Because that seems like a tweak you can make so as to have Nas during the regular season play less if you want. I wanted. think they're worried about Vando fouling out. Yeah. I think if you put Vando at the five against a capable – you know, I, I think Draymond wouldn't follow him out, but I think that, you know, um, yeah, actually, I don't know anymore. Cleaning the glass has wow. Vando at 96% of his minutes at power forward, 4% of his minutes this season at center. That's kind of, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I would have toyed around right. with that a little bit more. Uh, I guess so. I, I think what I worry about with that is maybe not so much on defense, but all their sets really yeah, favor the point. center. That's a good point. Yeah. Nas is the facsimile. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe the answer is like, let's see how the last twenty three games go, because there's going to be tweak. I, I really do believe Finch is going to is going to tweak this this rotation in in the the final twenty three, and and that will probably indicate to us is maybe is Jalen Noel part of it? Is is Torian? And Prince? there will be injuries. That's a good point too. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have at least two players that we're talking about right now. We'll be talking about will they be ready for the playoffs yeah. um, when it happens, just because end of the season, post-All-Star break. But one thing I do want to say, I know we're we're pushing it here on time, but um, the guts of the season, you know, in a traditional season like this one has mostly been in terms of time, unlike the bubble season and all that other stuff. January and February are the dog sled days, you know, where things are just, it's hard to win. It's hard to motivate. It's, it's hard to gut it out. And they're the Honda Civic I, of the season. <laughs> here you go. There you go. I didn't work. Or me. Yeah. The, the Ram truck. Don't mess with me on these things. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, the Wolves really did. It wasn't so much the opposition in January. It was the schedule of constant travel, and they gutted it out. I mean, they gutted out a hell of a January and early February. Um, yeah. They were one of the top 12 teams in the NBA during one of the hardest times to negotiate that stuff. Now, granted, they didn't have – there's a lot of injuries and a lot of strikes. Say, they a played of- a lot of injured guys too. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, yeah, it's not to detract from it, um, but like they didn't triumph through their trial. Their trials. I, it was, I don't know. It was successful. I I don't. 
There's there's a I handful think of those games. The fact that their offense found each other and and coalesced at the time, and that the bench, who knows? We have no idea if that bench can ever come back to those heady days of <laughs> late January, early February, or whatever it was, where like you were hoping to see, you know, J Mac and yeah, you're expecting Torian, a plus Torian Prince yeah. come off the bench, you know. Right. Uh, but that was. You know, that was admirable. The fact that Finch has been able to pull different rabbits out of his hat, you know, every couple of weeks, you know, there's a guy I could write about in the column going, oh, he's blowing up. The fact that they they played, you know, what, like eight and five in their last 13 or something with Ant being kind of really indifferent again, you know. Uh, no, I don't want to take away from it too much. It's a resourceful team. And I think that's the kind of thing that gets a mediocre team into the playoffs past the play-in. I also don't think it matters nearly as much when really good teams now have a four out of seven series and they go at you. That's the that's where the Wolves are really going to hit a brick wall is when they go up against a team, uh, you know, Maybe it'll be a gentleman sweep. Maybe they'll, you know, play really well and make it a six-game series, and kind of do what Denver did one year, where, uh, you know, their their surprising early performances in the playoffs paved the way for them to be a much better team a year later. Well, Brent, I think they're going to hit this, those sort of tests here right away after the break. I mean, it goes the first four out of the break are Grizzlies, Sixers, Cavs, Warriors. I mean, yeah, the Cavs are off right now, but I know what you mean. Those are I don't just know good why teams. the Cavs. I don't, yeah, yeah, I agree. And the Cavs are also just—I don't think any team destroyed the Wolves as thoroughly as the Cavs did in that game. So, I guess I shouldn't discount the Cavs. That was a blowout from like the first three minutes on. And I think uh, they'll get healthier because I mean, when I watch the Cavs now, particularly before they got Levert, it was just they had no creation from the perimeter on offense with Darius Garland out. And right. and so you're, you're and Sexton of course has been out for you right. know, all years. So. It was just so they're just stuck in the mud. But I think they're gonna get healthier. I, and and you know hopefully the Wolves are too, right? Like whatever Ant's right. going through, hopefully a week helps that. Vando, there is I mean Finch doesn't want to talk about it, uh at which I understand because it is an excuse, but fatigue is apparent uh in this Wolves yes. group right now and understandable. Uh, I I think so. Those four out of the break are going to be are going to be telling because I think they're trending in the wrong direction right now. Even just at the trade deadline when we talked, I I said to you I think they're going to finish ahead of Denver. And I watched Denver play, or I I didn't watch that whole game, but are you I saw the end of it. lunch already. I'm. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just I I think I mentioned this to you. I had Matt Moore on the pod, and and he was talking yeah, about yeah. how he thinks statistically the Wolves and Nuggets will finish in the five and six. And my pushback to that, and I think now even more so with a couple more games off the, the schedule, is they're three and a half behind Dallas and two and a half behind Denver. Uh, there's only 23 games left. Mike, come back to that as a, you insane. Because I will tell you that Dallas is not going to finish behind the Timberwolves. Uh, I don't like Jason Kidd much, and I have all kinds of respect for Matt Moore, hardwood, paroxysm, I think is how you say it. Paroxysm? Something anyway. like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, the guy watches as much hoops 
as anybody and is modest, but is if, if people don't you know follow him on Twitter, they're missing a, a really smart basketball guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, that's insane. He he's wrong about that, and uh, and Luca. Luca's just been in the weeds, just waiting. I mean, whenever that they play somebody good, Luca has a really good game. Well, I think that's the that's probably part of the concern for Wolves fans. Is yeah, I just with those two teams, is Luca and Jokic are both peaking. And I have I I would bet a significant amount of money that they will not make it away from the play-in. They will be in the play-in. Uh, I, I, I'm very confident in that. I think that um, I think it'll be seven and eight. I don't think they'll be having to win twice to be in the play-in. Yeah, um, I just I, I don't I don't think I, I I disagree with you. I just every time this comes up, I I Memphis is such a better first round matchup for the Wolves than Golden State or Phoenix are. I mean, agree. One, those two teams are just far higher quality. But with the Memphis, you have also this, you have a team where this is new to them too. They're, I was looking it up today, like the, the Wolves are um, are still only 20th in half-court offense on the season, even though they're 10th in overall offense. They're a team that, you know, profits off of transition. And that's something that right. goes away a lot in the playoffs. Right. But the team is even more egregious in that way is Memphis. Memphis right. is not going to be as good of a playoff team as they have been a regular season team. I feel very confident saying that. Now, I'm not saying the Wolves are better than them. It's 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 a similar sort of thing. But I think Golden State and Phoenix are going to be even better playoff teams than they are regular season teams. And I just, I don't know. I think they'll probably get swept by those teams, maybe five. And and I would I would like to have more of the feel of a real playoff battle. And and I think that's what the Memphis series would be, but it's yeah the, the gaps the gaps getting large. And where do you? I mean, I, the Jazz as fourth? Do you think? Or yeah, I, I actually do. think Dallas and the Jazz might be that might be a four or five tussle toward the down the stretch. Sure, yeah, unless, no, I, unless the Jazz Jazz straighten it out. But the Lakers, you know, you know. I don't think LeBron could just check the box of not this year twice in a row yeah. at his age. I think that it will be extremely important to somebody who is still one of the top five players in the NBA. And I think that's, you know, almost slighting him saying that, but to, to think that he is not going to will that team into a play and, and I don't know. I don't necessarily want to play the Lakers in a play. <laughs> I, yeah, that's what I'm saying too. That's the other side of the get to the six, and is yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I know you got to play. I mean, if it but, was today, they would play the Clippers in the first playing game, and if they lost that, then they'd probably have to play the Lakers. It's tough. That's going to be tough, and and that will be if that's how it plays out. I know it'll be like, oh, they made the play in like that still exceeded expectations for the year. That will feel deflating and underwhelming is if that's how this season ends. Losing to the Grizzlies in six games in the playoffs will not have that feeling. Well, that's a peak. I mean, I'll yeah. tell you, if they take the Grizzlies. Well, that's what I'm saying. Six, I'm setting the spectrum. I'm setting the spectrum. Yeah, that's no, the upside. Uh, no, I agree. The downside. I is, actually think the, 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 the peak would be uh, 
taking Phoenix or Golden State to six, or maybe even five. You know, yeah. but I just don't because I, I I I don't think. By the way, what is up with uh, what's his name? The the guard at Denver. The guy's been hurt all Murray? year and can, yeah. I was going to say Murray, but for some reason I got him, you know, Devontae Murray. I thought, oh, that's not him. And it's the other Murray. <laughs> oh, no, it's Jamal. You even mixed, messed me up in my head over the names. No, Jamal <laughs> Murray is supposed to is supposed to come back. And I think Michael Porter Jr. too. At at some point, yeah. I don't think that's. He's less, I, I think that actually hurts him. I Well, you hate Murray. Or Murray. I do. Porter. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Porter. Yeah. I, I just think he's extremely overrated. I just, I don't know. I hope the Wolves at least remain in this battle for the sixth seed. And even just one week, I feel like has dropped my confidence a little bit there. But my confidence was fueled by the fact. And have they won two out of three in that week since you said it? Yeah, I know. I, it's it's just this. I go both ways of, of this this most recent Wolves stretch where I go, okay, you know, you're winning often. All, all the things we've been talking about. You're winning, I believe, right. And then I, uh, I don't know, sometimes... Some of these games, even the Detroit and Sacramento games, where you're like, this is just not stamping your, yourself enough. The and Detroit and Sacramento games, they, they got progressively worse in all four of those games. Mm -hmm. The first Detroit game was better than the second Detroit game, was better than the first Sacramento game, which was better than the second Sacramento yeah. game. Yeah. I mean, they just kind of coasted downhill on that one and were proud of their three and one record somehow. I don't know. I mean, I got some shit for it on Twitter by basically ripping them after the first two or three wins, just because you could tell the defense just wasn't there anymore. And but that's that's yeah. I guess podcast. that's what I just go back to is that is the defense isn't there anymore, so the identity isn't there anymore, and it makes you it makes you you, you question things uh, a little bit. I but to your point, it also makes the possibility of a pivot somewhat interesting. Yeah. Uh, where where is the what coalesces the next identity and and I'm know, maybe, Finch has Finch has found answers for all of those tweaks he's needed to make over the course of the year yes slowly but he's he's found them so that's I think that's the optimism um, do you think this is a we'll leave this for next time but uh, question hanging in the air ooh. is the hard ass toward Ant a message to Delo? No, In I don't words, think so. I don't think so. You know, you're 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 gonna play. Hey, if you're not gonna play, don't talk about it. Ta -da, ta -da, ta -da, you know, but you're in and you're out. Don't be halfway. I don't think and, and Ant's that, spiteful that kind of, like that, that, man. I don't think that's no, but I think what it is is that I I guess what I'm saying is, and you're right, he is what much more a straightforward guy, but I'm I'm still trying to figure out why he is so rough on that particular aspect. And I think it's because he thinks Ant can take it. And it's good to send a message to the people who he doesn't want to say that to directly. Mm. And when I think about who that would be, D'Lo comes to the top of the list. Yeah. I, you know, four games out on a shin that he literally said, you know, just wasn't that bad. It was just one of those things I wanted to wait until it felt better, right. you know. Which is the the opposite tact that Ant has taken very, very clearly. It, I just, I keep saying and this. That, and that Fitch goaded him into taking yeah true it's just it's really hard to understand the extent of injuries from where we sit 
totally agree. And and so that's why it seems to be the topic Wolves fans are most up in arms about recently is just sit and. And obviously he doesn't make a bucket last night at all, and it's he's playing the rolled ankle on a back to back. I I, I, I was bothered that. by it. I, yeah, and I get that. I I I I'm just I don't have an opinion on it because I don't know what's going on. Well, here's what I do know: there is no way he should be involved in any of this all-star game crap. But that's what goes back. That's part of the reason why he's playing in this stuff too, man. That's why he played all these games these past few weeks is because he's 20 and because he wants to. And he's going he to play in the Rising, Rising Stars Star. game because he's 20 and he wants to. Like, And more power to him, man. More power to him. I'm 68 and I think it's stupid. <laughs> well, the whole All-Star weekend is, is yeah. a little dumb. I go skiing. Yeah, it's right. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> um, all right, Britt. Well, uh you have your piece up. On that cranky note. <laughs> yeah. No, things are still good, man. Things are still good. 31 and 28. Like I said, right. that's three yeah. games over 500 going into All-Star break, and it just depends when you want to look at it and assess this team. I think this team was expected. We both were on the over of 34 and a half coming into this year. Neither of us predicted 31 and 28. I said 35 to 41. But that was my, my zone. I so was you probably expected them to be like, 27 and 32 right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just knew the what I didn't expect is that they would have to play really badly. I mean, really badly not to hit 38. Yeah. You know, I mean, they have to win literally like seven games after the All-Star break and they still make 38. Right. That to me is uh, that means they've overachieved by a significant margin on what my expectation was. It just, as Kat would say, if that happens, the food won't taste as good. <laughs> you know, it, it will be a, it will be a sour note That's to right. kind of go into the right. playoffs on. But yeah. all right, read uh, cue, cue the segues in the movie. You know, <laughs> um, read Britt's column on Jade McDaniel's be up at Mim Post by the time uh, you are you're listening to this pod. Britt, uh, enjoy your skiing um, with the pod. We won't. I'll probably be back sometime. Um, early next week i gotta figure what, out what that is but we will have a dip in podcasts for the the next what is it seven days until the wolves play again um, enjoy your time off man. I, yeah. you've earned it no i'm uh yeah like i was saying i was i was going on fumes last night at the at the game it was uh <laughs> it was a long long couple of weeks and and you know it's a long couple of weeks for the wolves players too they're going on fumes as well right, so man. we're all gonna recharge here over a week maybe watch some all-star stuff and then we'll come back for 23 games that are going to be telling um, that are going to ultimately define this season. Cause right now this season is inexactly defined by, by what it has been. And I'm, uh, I'm interested to see what that is. So he's Britt again, read him over at mid post, follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA until next week. How oh, I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah Greening hearts so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.